It's an ominous title, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, I made it. I'm just now realising how menacing that looks because <laughs> I'm standing up here. Well, good morning. Happy New Year to you all. I don't know who I've said Happy New Year to individually, so if I say it from up here, then I can assume blanket coverage. <coughs> it's um, 2019, the year when all of our dreams come true. We'll see. Um, January 6th already, nearly a week in. How are your New Year's resolutions going? Good? Bad? Not made any? <laughs> What I love about New Year, perhaps more than any other point in the year, is, is that we give ourselves permission to start again, don't we? We say things like, this year I'm, I'm finally going to lose some weight, or run that marathon, or climb that mountain, or get fit, or spend more time with the family, finish that book, that project, that course, commit to that friendship, that relationship, whatever... It might be for us, January feels like the right month to get it right, right? And I think, um, I think advertisers zero in on this. I think they know this as well. They say things like, new year, new you. <laughs> Become your best self. Join the gym today for only $14.99 a month for the first six months. $69.99 thereafter, six-year minimum contract turns into fly. <laughs> <coughs> or that, you know, there's that, that try our New Year's diet, lose weight easily with this one simple trick. I've looked, the trick is to stop eating. <laughs> and we think, yeah, come on, let's do it. Woo! <laughs> let's sort ourselves out. And we, we start these things with such gusto and such determination, but then after a few weeks of kind of getting up early to run or to study or to not eat. What, st <laughs> what started out as exciting became sort of, you know, a bit tiresome and you think, oh, that's a bit too much effort, isn't it? And we begin to, I think, lose sight of the goal a little bit. And sure, we still want to be thinner and fitter and smarter and healthier, but, but we're kind of after the result without the work and without the challenge um, as it were, we start to look for that easier path. And when we, we can't find one, we sort of find ourselves giving up and we keep paying for that gym subscription, but we only go to use the sauna um, <laughs> or maybe the vending machine. <laughs> I imagine. Um, <laughs> I just, I sometimes, sometimes I wonder whether we treat our faith the same way. Or whether we can kind of start full of fire and energy, you know, excited at the possibilities of this new life. But somewhere along the way, things start to go a little bit squiffy. If I can use that word. If that is a word. Um, and so as we start the new year together as a church, as a church family, um, I want to challenge us to look at our commitment. I want to share with you a passage of scripture today from John's Gospel, where Jesus speaks about what it means to really follow him, what it means to really chase after him. 
And in fact, over the next five to six weeks, we're going to be um, looking at some of the more challenging aspects of our faith together. And in particular, um, Jesus' expectations of us. And that's really what I mean by this, the title, Tough Talk. So, are you up for that? (laughs) That challenge. Right, so if you've got your Bibles then, would you turn with me to John uh, chapter 6, please. John chapter 6. And we're going to look at probably most of this chapter this morning. I'm going to try and tackle a big chunk of scripture together. Um, I know we normally like to zero in on on one verse, but really we need to get the flow of the text this morning. Um, But I want to start a little way in. I want to start down in verse 22. So John um, chapter 6, verse 22. And if you haven't got your, your Bibles, the words will be on the screen as well. This is what it says. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got in the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Let's just pause there for a second. The situation is this, there is a crowd of people, a whole group of them, that are looking for Jesus. Why are they looking for him? Well, actually, we're told at the start of the chapter in verse 2 that a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he performed by healing the sick. And so they know that Jesus is someone who is worth pursuing, someone who has power, someone who has authority and can do amazing things. And in fact, the crowd, this particular crowd that were looking for him on this particular morning, had the previous evening witnessed Jesus do one of his most fantastic miracles. One of the few miracles that's actually recorded in all four Gospels. It's the feeding of the 5,000. This is where... Jesus miraculously multiplies a small boy's five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. And they all ate, every one of them, so much so that there were 12 baskets of food left over. It was a spectacular spectacle, a wonder to behold. And the crowd that had been fed were quite literally hungry for more. And they knew that, that Jesus hadn't left with his disciples on the boat, but... No one had seen him since yesterday. He disappeared up a mountain somewhere. And so they waited for a bit. And when he didn't show, they decided to look for him in Capernaum on the other side of the lake. And then we read in verse 25 this. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, I don't know if this is because they were confused about how he got there without a boat or whether they were just trying to play it cool. Hey, Jesus. Fancy seeing you here. No, no, no. We, we weren't looking for you. This is our annual trip to Capernaum. You know, Barry organises it every year. Either way, Jesus ignores the question and he says this. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. Busted. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And then he adds... Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so the crowd had seen the sign 
They'd seen the seemingly endless supply of bread and concluded that that was the point. That is why Jesus had come. They'd ate the loaves, they'd had their fill, their hunger had disappeared, their physical needs were met and they were satisfied in that moment. But when the morning came round, they were hungry again. Their tummies were rumbling and so they went looking for the one who could give them what they needed without them needing to go to work for food or to bake for themselves. The easy way, as it were. But Jesus, he catches them. He catches them in that moment there and he says, guys, you're working for the wrong thing. You're chasing the wrong thing. Don't chase food that spoils, but food that endures. You know, you want that bread that's here today and gone tomorrow, but I can show you how to live a life that has impact for all eternity. And so they ask him, they say, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What's this going to cost us, Jesus? It's a fair question, I guess. And Jesus answers this way. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. You see, in that moment, Jesus gives them the opportunity to stop chasing the immaterial, stop chasing the unimportant, and to recognise him as God's messenger. To stop chasing that free lunch and to look to the one who can lead them into life. To elevate their minds from their stomachs to their hearts and to open themselves up to what he has for them. And what's their response? Well, they say, what sign then will you give us that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They still want their free breakfast, right? What are you going to do, Jesus? Moses brought the bread. He rained down manna from heaven every day. You want us to believe in you? Show us the loaves. Come on. I mean, was the feeding of the 5,000 not enough for them? I imagine at this point, Jesus sort of slowly shakes his head. And he says this very truly. I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see, they were chasing the wrong thing. They wanted their sign, not because the sign would point them to Jesus, because, but because they thought the sign would be the thing that would satisfy them. And really, I think they'd made two fundamental errors in judgment. Firstly, they thought they were chasing after Jesus, when in reality they were only chasing their own desires. They thought they were chasing Jesus, when in reality they were chasing their own desires. And secondly, they thought Jesus would give them what they wanted, when they wanted it, how they wanted it. But in reality, Jesus wanted to give them something far, far greater. Two mistakes in their approach to Jesus. Two mistakes that I think sometimes, from time to time, we can make as well. I know I have at least. In our own relationships with Jesus, are we sure that it's him that we are chasing after? Or is it really our own desire and our own fulfilment that we want? Because I think there's a I think there's a danger. I think there's a danger that we can make um, our faith all about us. You know, we might not be looking for Jesus to give us bread as these people were, but we might be searching for something else. Have we ever prayed that prayer? Jesus, if you could just give me this or just give me that, then I'd, then I'd be happy. Then I could follow you. 
Now, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't bring our wants and our desires to Jesus. Of course not. He tells us, doesn't he? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But if our relationship with Jesus is based only on what we can get from him, then clearly it's not him we are interested in. It's simply what he might do for us. And you know, sometimes it's not stuff. Sometimes it's, um, it's a feeling. We just want Jesus to make us feel good, right? To, to put us right with God so that we can carry on living however we want to live. And again, you know, knowing that you've been saved, knowing that you've been set free from sin and death and, and made right with God is the best feeling in the world, no doubt about it. And we're right to pursue it. And only Jesus can give us that, but it, it doesn't end there. You know, Jesus says he wants us to believe in him. That means that we take seriously the things that he tells us to do. We cannot accept Jesus was who he said he was and not take seriously the things that he tells us to do. I'd be like, um, no, but like a lifeguard saying to us, don't go in the water because there's sharks in there. And we go, oh, thanks for that. That's great. And then dive in the water anyway. Either you've got a death wish or you don't really believe him. And so I wonder if at the start of this year, you know, we just need to check our motivation. What is it that we are chasing after? Is it really Jesus? Do we really believe that he is the son of God, the saviour of the world? Do we believe that he died in our place and wants to give us the life of eternity? Is he worth pursuing with all of our hearts? Is it him? And on another occasion, Jesus said, don't worry. He said, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He says, your heavenly Father, he knows what you need already. Instead, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all this other stuff will be given to you as well. In other words, if our priority is Jesus, the other bits will fall into place. But if we spend our days chasing the immaterial and chasing the unimportant, we'll lose sight of what really matters and we'll miss it. I don't want us to miss it. The second mistake that they made, and sometimes I think we make, is that um, we, we expect Jesus to bend to our will. We expect him to do as he's told, to give us the deepest desires of our heart. And then when that doesn't work out the way we expect, we get annoyed and we get frustrated. You can sort of uh, sense the frustration of the people here in John, can't you? You know, you can imagine them saying, oh, we've travelled all the way across this lake this morning for this free breakfast. Come on, why aren't you doing what we want you to do? But you know, the reality is that Jesus had something better for them something far better than what they wanted or thought that they needed, but they weren't interested. They were, they were blinkered. They only had their empty bellies in mind. And actually, we see earlier in the chapter, not long after Jesus had fed them the first time, it said in verse 14, the people saw the sign he performed and began to say, surely this is the prophet who came into the world, but Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. The crowds thought, we're on to a good thing here. Let's, let's make him king and then we can eat for free. But Jesus knew that wasn't the plan. That wasn't his father's will. He couldn't be a king on earth. He knew he needed to die first in order to save them and to save us for all eternity. He saw the bigger picture, as it were. And I just wonder if sometimes 
Maybe we're too blinkered in our expectation of Jesus in our lives. Maybe sometimes we're so worried about this little loaf of bread here that we can't see the work that he wants to do in our life that will last for an eternity. I know I've read um, this next quote before on a Sunday morning, but I, I just want to share it again. Um, because it's a, it's a quote from C.S. Lewis, a Christian author. It's a constant challenge um, to me, actually. I have this up um, in my office. This is what he says. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child that wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. I wonder if in chasing after the little things, we sometimes miss the big things. And so as we start this new year together, as well as checking our motivation, I wonder if it's worth considering our expectation as well. What work do we expect Jesus to do in our lives this year? I believe with all of my heart that Jesus wants to do a work of spiritual significance in our lives this year. I'm convinced of that. The question is whether or not we're interested in that. Or do we expect nothing more than we've seen already? Nah, just do the bread thing again. We like that. That's enough for me. You know, I don't want us to miss out on the fullness of life that Jesus has for us because we're fixated on the wrong thing. So how do we begin? Where do we start? Well, let me go back to John for a few minutes and read a a bit more of this chapter. Jesus says in verse 33, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he's, he's talking about himself. He's the one that comes down from heaven. The crowd, they still think he's on the bread things. They say, sir, give us that bread. We enjoyed the bread yesterday from the boy, but this heaven bread sounds great. We'll have that. And so Jesus spells it out for them. This is what he says in verse 35. In fact, he says he declared it. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on that last day. For my Father's will is this, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. I'm here, right in front of you. It's me. The bread is a metaphor. It's meant to lead you to me. It reminds me of another conversation Jesus had with a a woman who came to draw water from a well. You remember that one? On that occasion, Jesus, speaking of the water in the well, said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And again, the woman in the scenario misunderstood. She said, sir, give me that water so I won't be thirsty again and I have to keep coming here. It's a different metaphor, but the message is the same. It begins with Jesus. It has to begin with Jesus. And he tells them exactly why, doesn't he? If we just go through this, this text here, verse 
35, he said, whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's not talking um, of a physical thirst here or a physical hunger, but a spiritual one. A spiritual hunger. Later in verse 63, he says, the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are full of life and spirit. Jesus gives us spiritual satisfaction. He fills that deep void that exists in all of us, that hunger that goes beyond the physical. He satisfies. In verse 37, he says, Whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. Jesus receives everyone who comes to him. There isn't some sort of test or or measurement that you have to pass. It's not like, oh, no, sorry, you haven't quite got enough points to, to come in. No, none of that. You know, when the crowd asks him, what must we do? What's the work that God requires? He says, the work God requires is that you believe in me, that you put your trust in me. Now, that doesn't mean that God is unconcerned with how we live our lives. Of course not. It simply means that the foundation of our faith isn't what we do. It's Jesus. Bless you. It's our belief in him. It's our standing in him. That's why he says, next, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. Jesus shows us how to live for God. He demonstrates that to us. And I mentioned earlier, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus is our perfect example of that. He came to fulfill God's purposes on earth. And then he says in verse 39, I shall lose none of those that God has given to me. I will keep you safe. I will hold on to you. When Jesus is on our side, nothing can separate us from the love of God. As Paul later writes in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to celebrate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get a hallelujah? (laughs) He concludes in verse 40, doesn't he? He says, I will raise them up on that last day. They will be with me for all eternity. I'm not going to lie, it's a pretty sweet deal guys. And it begins by believing in him. But that belief isn't passive, it's active. It's not this one-time decision that we make and then forget about. It's a constant attitude of heart, right? And I think that's what we see in this last section here of John 6, because this conversation between Jesus and the crowd continues. It escalates beyond where we've got to. In verse 41, we're told that they begin to grumble (laughs) they begin to moan and niggle and complain. They say, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say he came down from heaven? Come on. So Jesus explains it again. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up on the last day. As it's written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. I mean, he's being pretty clear. He's talking about the cross, isn't he? 
He's talking about the sacrifice that he will make for all of those who believe in him. He's saying, you need to get on board with this. Don't miss out. I'm here for you. But still they will not hear him. And it says in verse 52 that they begin to argue sharply amongst themselves. They've gone from grumbling to complaining to arguing. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Do you notice here they've moved from talking to Jesus? They've moved from actively seeking him in their lives in verse 24 to now ignoring him completely and instead arguing with each other. They're not even directing their questions to Jesus anymore. They are just shouting at each other. They started out so well. They went across the lake looking for him and what he might do in their lives. And when he starts to explain what it is that he wants to do, they just start to complain, bicker and argue and shout at each other. And actually, they're not even listening to Jesus anymore. I imagine Jesus is doing this. So Jesus draws a line in the sand, as it were. He says something jarring, actually. He says something that's hard to hear, hard for us to read even now. Perhaps one of the most difficult things to understand that he's ever said. Certainly something that's caused a great deal of debate through the years. This is what he says. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on that last day. For my uh, flesh is the real food and my blood is the real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, he says, pointing at himself. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, we don't, really, um, we don't really know what happened to the crowd after this, whether they dispersed, whether they even really heard him, because the focus, it shifts from the crowd to Jesus' own followers. It shifts to those who are already following him, those who are committed to him. And it says in verse 60, on hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This was a a real challenge to them and their faith and their commitment to Jesus. In fact, it says a few verses later in verse 66, from this time, many disciples turned their back and no longer followed him. They were done. They were out. Why was this such a hard teaching for them? Well, let's just be clear about what Jesus is not saying first. He's not talking to them literally about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Jesus is speaking metaphorically. Let me be clear on that. In the same way, on another occasion, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He didn't mean that we would somehow grow out of Jesus and produce grapes. When he said, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He didn't mean that we have to somehow crawl through him to be saved. No, of course not. In the same way here, he doesn't mean that we will literally need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. 
But what he did mean is that in order to be spiritually satisfied, we would need to take a step of faith and we would need to be committed to him. Think about it this way. Knowing about the existence of bread will not satisfy your hunger. Hearing a lecture about the benefits of eating bread will not satisfy your hunger. Singing songs about bread or even singing songs to bread will not satisfy your hunger. Joining a small group to talk about the benefits of bread with other bread enthusiasts (laughs) will not satisfy your hunger. The only thing that will satisfy your hunger is picking up the bread for yourself and taking a bite. Jesus' followers didn't leave because they thought he'd gone mad. They left because they wanted, Jesus wanted them to commit to him completely. Not to be window shoppers in the bakery, but those who step over the threshold and say, this is the only bread that I want for the rest of my life. It's you. And so the story, it ends with Jesus turning to his closest followers and asking a question. He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? What about you? Jesus often does this. I wonder if perhaps Jesus is doing this to us at the start of the year. What about you? What do you want to do? And Simon Peter, um, who so often is the one who puts his foot in it, he says one of the most profound things he's ever said. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And this for me, this is the crux of the matter. This is the reason I've been inspired to to write this series for the start of the year. Because Jesus said many things that are hard, many things that are difficult. Some are perhaps tricky to understand like this one. Others are just profoundly challenging. Things like, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Or, if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Or, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. And many, many more that we're going to look at over the coming weeks together. Tough talk, as it were. Things that are hard to hear, not because they challenge us. Because they challenge us in ways we might not want to be challenged. But if we really believe in Jesus if we really believe that he is who he said he was, then these are things that we need to get to grips with. These are things that we need to wrestle with because these are the words that are going to lead us into eternity. Right? And so as we pull into the station um, this morning, and and I'm I'm sorry it's been so heavy. I'm sorry in one sense. I'm not sorry in another because I really believe that God wants to lead us into a deeper relationship with him this year. My conclusion is this. Jesus wants to know, will we follow him and only him in 2019? We have a choice. Of course we do. We have free will. We can be like those followers who walk away because we recognize that this is a hard teaching. This is going to require something from us. This isn't a passive thing. We can't just sit on the sidelines anymore and observe. It's a challenge. Or we can conclude with Peter... Where else can we go? Because we know that he has the words of life eternal. We can say, Jesus, I want you to speak into my life this year. I want to hear from you this year. 
I want you to challenge me, to change me. I don't want to come to you expecting you to meet my demands anymore. I don't want you to bend to my will, but I want to come to you and hear what it is that you have to say to me this year. Tough talk. I wonder if the band would um, come and join me on stage. You know, we have... I just want to say this in conclusion. We have nothing to fear from God. We have nothing to fear from what it is that he wants to do in our lives this year. Um, This week on Wednesday we had a prayer meeting. We always start the new year um, with a a prayer meeting, a chance to to come before God and pray about the things in the coming year. Um, And it was a wonderful time spent really in God's presence. And we had many words that were given at the end of that evening to us as a church. And many of them were a confirmation to me um, about what it is that I think God is saying to us at this time. But I think one of the most powerful messages that came through that evening was given to us through Judith. I know many will have heard this already if you're on the prayer network, it was sent out. Um, But as I finish this morning, I just want to share those words with you again. This is what was said to us on Wednesday evening. We do not serve a God who is weak and weary. We do not serve a God who walks away and lies down. We do not serve a God who is mediocre. And we do not serve a God who is tired of us. No. We serve a God that loves us. We serve a God that is able. We serve a God who makes the impossible possible. And we serve a God who is faithful throughout. Praise God for who he is. Praise God for he is mighty. That's the God that I want to get on board with in 2019. I wonder if you'd stand with me.